we sang the last hymn on, on purpose uh, with the intent that we would uh, see what he's saying. Uh, if you'll notice, uh, it uh, came from the section that's uh, called the Lord's House. And he says, Here, O my Lord, I see you face to face. Well, I don't know if we've ever seen God here, have we? But he's seeing him by faith, isn't he? And uh, our psalm tonight, David says, I, I've seen your power and your glory in the sanctuary. He says, here would I touch and handle things unseen. Well, can you, can you touch things that are unseen? Can you really handle them? Well, you, you can, unless it's by faith. Here I would grasp with firmer hand the eternal grace. Uh, that happens in the Lord's house. And all my weariness upon you lean. And uh, knowing this hymn, I thought of David's weariness. He said, uh, I thirst after you as in a dry and weary land. And we can come into God's house and we can see him face to face. We do handle things that are unseen. We, Paul tells Timothy, we walk by faith and not by sight. And David is a good example to us. Uh, as we open up Psalm 63 again. So we'll pray and then read the text. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this opportunity. We are thankful that uh, uh, this room, in a sense, right now is like no other room uh, in the world. Uh, your people are gathered. You've promised to meet them. You've promised to do things for us in the preaching of your word and the singing of hymns and the praying of our prayers, we would think these are meager means, uh, but they are appointed means. And this is your appointed place. We ask that we could learn from David, who saw your appointed place as the highest, the highest of his desires, to get back there and see your power and to see your glory. We pray that by faith we might be able to see your power and your glory even this night. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 63, I'll read the entire psalm. Hear my cry, O God. No, 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be apportioned for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped." And so uh, this evening we'll have a brief uh, introduction or review of what we studied a number of weeks ago. And then under uh, one heading, remembering the blessings of the sanctuary, uh, we'll look first of all at David's look at the past 
Secondly, the sanctuary defined. Uh, thirdly, the sanctuary, what is it? Uh, fourthly, uh, David's aim and aspirations, and then some applications, but the applications will uh, unfold as we go. So as we looked before, we see that this is a time when he was in the wilderness uh, of Judea, according to the heading of the psalm. Uh, we determined at that point that he was fleeing from Absalom because it says he's in the wilderness. Uh, his fleeing from Saul mentioned specific places that he went, and uh, this just mentioned the wilderness. He was in, uh, he was in need. Uh, provisions were brought to him two times. And also, he says he was the king in verse 11, David as the king. Uh, the word weary is repeated in the narrative of his fleeing from Absalom. Even his enemies say that they want to attack while he's weary in the wilderness. And then there is in Psalm 63 and verses 9 through 11, uh, the defeat of his enemies. And he finishes off by saying they'll be brought to the earth, the sword, the food for jackals, and uh, liars' mouths will be stopped. And in the case of Absalom, one man, Ahithophel, who it says his counsel was like the very words of God, his counsel is thwarted, and uh, they're defeated, and he goes home and kills himself. We looked at uh, verse 1, where first of all, he addresses God, a direct address. He says, O God. And then we looked at four assertions. He says, You are my God. Earnestly will I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. And we looked at those four assertions. And then the similitude, which brings the physical picture of his spiritual longing, he says, as in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And that is exactly where he was. Provision had to be brought to them. And uh, we actually uh, looked up the, the geographical area only gets a limited amount of rain even throughout the year. So our, our main heading and four subheadings come up next, remembering the blessings of the sanctuary. He, he looks at the past and says, so have I looked. He's, he's got desire in his heart. He's out in the middle of nowhere. Provision has to be brought to him. He's in danger. People are after him. He's already been... Uh, uh, exiled, as you, as you might say, from, the, from Jerusalem, from the palace. And uh, he says, I have looked uh, upon you in the sanctuary. I have seen you in the sanctuary. Uh, he follows his thirst. Uh, years ago, there was a soft drink that said, obey your thirst. And that was the big thing. It was the only thing that could quench your thirst, evidently. Well, David says, no, it's it's my times with the living God in the sanctuary. Those are the only things that could quench my thirst. His uh, thirst, which it seems like he had all the time, uh, caused him to look back at those times, uh, beholding and looking at God in the sanctuary. So secondly then, uh, sanctuary, uh, the word itself. Uh, the word itself is used frequently, 148 times total, but it has the idea of holiness, uh, separateness, and uh, one uh, lexicon or dictionary says apartness. Uh, I, I never heard that word, but it, it gets at the idea. The, the sanctuary is set apart. It's a special place. It's a holy place. Uh, here it is the sacred place, 
and around 65 times in the Old Testament it's used as the sanctuary. Uh, in other verses, uh, it's translated uh, holy or holy ones or holiness, and uh, you can offer sacred gifts or bring sacred things uh, to the Lord, among others. Uh, all the total references include the instructions uh, for building the sanctuary, which begin in, in Exodus. And God tells them what he wants, and he tells them, see that you build it exactly the way uh, that I said. Uh, there's quite a number of uses in the Psalms. David is a worshiping man. He's a pattern uh, for our worship. Uh, last Wednesday at a prayer meeting, we briefly looked at Psalm 20, and uh, verse 2 says, May he send you help from the sanctuary. Psalm 28 and verse 2, I will lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. Psalm 68 and verse 35, awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. And Asaph, who is troubled about the wicked and troubled about those who seem to prosper in the world, so much so that he says, my feet were slipping. I was, I was so concerned. Why are the wicked prospering? And then he says in verse 17 of Psalm 73, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. I remembered really where the wicked go when I went into the sanctuary and got things right. Psalm 78 and verse 69, he built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. And without using the word sanctuary, uh, David says in Psalm 27, there's one thing that he wants above all other things. It's really amazing. One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And he says, there's no place that I'd rather be than in the house of God. There's no place that I want to go. He says, I have a, a singular-minded prayer. I want to get there and I want to behold God in the sanctuary. So then the sanctuary, what is it? The framework of the sanctuary comes from creation when the Lord rested on the seventh day and said that day was blessed and sanctified. That became the, the weekly day of worship among all the other feasts. And then there was the command. So the creation and the command, set aside all your work, Set aside the work of everybody and, and, and focus on worship. So the first thing, what is it? Whose sanctuary is it? How should we deal with it? The first thing is that God reveals himself to man. And it's all because God has revealed himself to men. He told them, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to build. This is what I'm going to do in the sanctuary. This is what you're going to do. In the sanctuary. He reveals himself to man and he instructs them. It's a place of God's design. First of all, spiritually, because of God's intention, you know that he said, I will be their God and they shall be my people. We heard this morning that God is going to make sure that there's a people that he has for himself. That's his plan. That always was his plan. And it's his design to say to them, 
Here's how we're going to do it. When he first approaches Moses, he says, I have seen the affliction of my people. He's going to do something. He intends to have people. Titus 2, verse 14. His goal is to purify himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And some people worry when you start talking about God's laws and God's rules and that he said, make it exactly the way I told you to do. They say, oh, that's law. That was law. That was law. No, the, the true Israelite loved God beyond everything else. And he purposed in his heart to love him more than anything else. That was the idea. You remember when Jesus uh, was being pursued by the Pharisees, hammered with those questions. We just saw it the last time Gary preached. More questions. What about this? Who do we pay taxes to? What do we do with this? What do we do with that? Well, one, one gentleman asked him, what were, the, what, were the two, what were the two most important commandments? And Jesus quoted this. You love Lord and your neighbor as yourself. And the guy went and he, he exegeted it. He said, yes, teacher, you're right. Because to do that and do that is to keep all the commandments. And Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And it didn't say that the guy repent was converted. It said they never asked him any more questions. But that was God's intention uh, right from the beginning. To have a people that loved him. And, and, the, and it's the framework of the sanctuary. So spiritually... He intended to have a people. Physically, he gave these instructions. Uh, there's a, a picture in uh, my study Bible uh, of the whole thing. And then there's like insets. And they say, well, this is the whole thing. But this was in the Holy of Holies. And this was in the front of part of it. And this is this. And this is what the, the altar looked like. And this is what the mercy seat looked like. Because it's right there. It's all the graphic design that, that God did. But it's marvelous in its detail, even the basic sanctuary. Remember, it's not the temple. It's not the temple that the disciples said, hey, Lord, look at this. this is an impressive building, isn't it? This is, just, this is just curtains and tents. David was told, you're not building a temple. You're a general. You're warfare. There's more blood on your hands than anybody else in the history of Israel. You're not building it. Somebody else is. And there it sat, curtains and tents and, and altars and everything. So it was a place God designed, both spiritually and physically, but it's also a place of God's presence, worship, and atonement. That was the reason that it was built. He said, I'm going to be there. It started in Exodus, didn't it? There's a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You didn't need to... You didn't need to do anything except look into the sky to know that uh, Yahweh is leading us and guiding us in the wilderness. And he said, I'm coming down into that sanctuary. Numbers 14, 10. Caleb and uh, Joshua get back. They say, this land is great. It's beautiful. It's just like the Lord said. And they were going to stone them. And it said, the glory of the Lord appeared by the sanctuary. And God stopped it. But he said, this is where I'm going to dwell. This is where I'm going to, to be. This is where you come to meet with me. He told the people how to worship. He instructed them 
uh, about all the things that they were supposed to do. So there in the wilderness, they received the Ten Commandments and they realized, I can't keep these commandments. And God said, no, you can't. And he gave them all the rules, right? You read through to Leviticus and there's all the sacrifices. And so you walked in and the altar was right in front of you. But that's how you approached God. That was the way that you had to do it. He said, he said, that's the way. The functions, uses, and what God intended the sanctuary to be is the only thing that it should be. Nadab and Abihu got the idea. Oh, we're the sons of Aaron. We're, we're like priests. Let's fill these incense and go and offer incense ourselves. They were struck dead. You worship God in the way that he says. You worship in the place that he says. You do the things that he says. It's a lesson that our generation, that the world around us should understand. God is in control of worship. He carries out his presence. Even Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, uh, there I'll be. The true lover of God will worship and praise God uh, as in the rest of the psalm. And he'll go... And he'll go and he'll sacrifice because that's what God said. But it's also a place of faith. Take this animal, cut its neck open, drain the blood, put your hands on it, and your sins go from you to the animal. Oh, well, wait a minute. I don't know if I like that idea. An unbeliever wouldn't. Russ mentioned it this morning. They say, oh, you've got this bloody religion. You've got blood on your hands. You're doing this. No, God said that's the way that it's supposed to happen. And a faithful Israelite went and he found, the, he found the best lamb. He found the best goat. He found whatever he was supposed to find. And by faith, he knew his sins were being taken away because he did what God commanded. Not merely out of law but out of love, because that's what my God said. That's what God said. It was a place of faith. The lover of God always is governed by faith. Faith brings justification. Faith brings the things that we saw that uh, people said in, in Habakkuk. He said, God is the God of my salvation. How did he know he was saved? Because God said, when I lay my hands on those animals, my sins are taken away. And something had to happen. Maybe it didn't clear their conscience. Hebrew says it didn't clear it all the way. But something had to happen to let them know my sins just passed into that. Otherwise, if you're not sure, your guilt is piling up even while you lay your hands on the second one or third or fifth or twentieth one. They understood I'm saved. They understood this is the means for me to be saved. It was a place of faith. It was faith in God's words, all the commands, all the promises, everything about the blood sacrifices. It was a place of, of worship. David didn't build the temple, but think of how many Psalms that he wrote that said, put this to music, put this to music, put this to this meter or cadence. Get some lutes and harps. Uh, praise the Lord with this. There's one psalm that just goes through all the instruments, isn't there? 
Praise the Lord with this and get some harps too and praise him with these and cymbals and tambourines and this and this and this and this. That's the result. We can't say, oh, they just lived under law. They just lived under law. That functioned for them. And David shows us that the whole sanctuary system functioned for him because what? He couldn't wait to go back there. He couldn't wait to go back because he sees God's power. It takes God's power for me to put my hand on an animal and know that my sins are passed through. Only God can make that transaction. Only God could nail my sins to the cross of Christ. And if I look to that, it's the same as looking to my hand on the thing. Where's my sin? Jesus, Jesus took it all. Where's your sin? All that lamb that they just took, that, it was on that. Still, though, God said, remember, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as they did in the wilderness. It was a place of faith. People with hard hearts didn't prosper from the worship in the sanctuary. People with hard hearts didn't prosper in the wilderness. How many times did they say, why did you bring us out here? And there was, I'm sure there was people who said, why did God institute this kind of worship? But it was a place of faith. The faithful Jew benefited from everything that went on in the sanctuary. But it's also a place of remembrance and expectation. Uh, God's mighty works and his powerful hand were the things that were remembered. He guided them all the way through. Think of some of the things that were in there. A, a, a pot of manna, a, a, a rod that budded. The, the whole thing was remember what Yahweh has done for you. Remember what God has done for your soul. Remember how he brought you all these steps. How many times did he begin his addresses to them by saying, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. A place of remembrance and expectation. His mighty works and powerful hand uh, were remembered. But by faith, the true Israelite anticipated and looked for other works and looked for God to do more things. We've seen in the minor, in the minor prophets that, that they anticipated God doing work. Some of them prophesied about the day of the Lord. Habakkuk wanted God to re respond to him. Not with Chaldeans coming, but with more works of God. Sixthly and finally, it was, a, it was a place of fellowship. We have pages in the New Testament letters that tell us how to treat one another. That tell us our, our attitudes towards one another. Our relationships with one another. We would call it instructions on church life. True Israelites gathered and enjoyed their times of sacrifice and worship. People said to David, let us go to the house of the Lord. And he said, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to go up there just like everybody else. It was a place of blessing. It was a reminder of God's mighty works and a place where God demonstrated his forgiveness and mercy. And true Israelites would have fellowship with one another just like we would. And they would say, isn't Yahweh wonderful? Isn't our God marvelous? He started by redeeming us and defeating Pharaoh and all our other enemies to bring us to this land. 
And now he has a way that we can approach him, even through these sacrifices, even through the help of a, a physical priest who someday would die. He helps us in our spiritual walk and our life uh, together. And, and David said, I looked upon those things. Those are the things that I looked upon. We, we see it from the, from the view of Hebrews and we say, well, it was all the shadow though. It, God said that was temporary and it wasn't really that good and now it's better and it's perfect. And Hebrews brings that up over and over. Perfect sacrifice, perfect, perfect. But we have to remember to them it was real and it was vital. And we have to say, well, well, David must be confused. That was all law. That was all this. That was the old covenant. But it beat in his heart, I want to get back there. I want to go back there to the sanctuary because God's power and his glory were there. And then uh, the, the fourth heading, David's aim and his aspiration, he says, to see your power and your glory. Or in order to see. I want to get back there in order to see it again. I'm in the wilderness. My soul is dry. My flesh is, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritually drained. I want to get back there in order to see your power and, and your glory. There's a place that that's revealed. And he's saying, that's where I want to go. Because that's what I've seen before. And that's what I see it again. We see that God... Uh, reveals himself in, in general revelation, and the things that are seen are, are the same. Recently, our study in Psalm 19, the heavens declare what? The glory of God. The glory of God is revealed every day. Every day. And it just keeps calling out and just keeps saying, there's the glory of God, there is the glory of God. And the firmament just tells his handiwork, only God could make this. Only God could make this. Romans 1.20, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes. Do you realize that when you look at the creation, you see invisible attributes? That's what David's saying. In the sanctuary, I see invisible things. Nobody else sees this stuff. How many people walk around? They don't see it. They don't see glory. They have that saying, you need to take time and stop to smell the roses. Well, you really do. Jesus's, Jesus's demonstration, his illustrations are even more simple. Look at a sparrow. A sparrow, they're all over the place. Look at that flower. One flower, but what does he say? There's not a sparrow that has fallen out of its nest today that God didn't know about. Aren't you worth more sparrows? And look at that lily of the field. Solomon in all his glory wasn't adorned like that. His, his invisible attributes, which are or which include his eternal power and divine nature. You absolutely know there's God by looking out. If that's true about the outside, David is telling us and showing us it's true about the inside. It's true about the sanctuary. His divine nature have been clearly seen. 
being understood through what has been made so that they are without an excuse. It, it's a terrible thing that people will actually go to Judgment Day and say, I didn't know that. And God will say, that's because you suppressed the truth and unrighteousness for 70 years of your 80-year life. They held it down. Science, science, science. Evolution is proven. Science, science, science. And in Judgment Day, God will say, no, creation. And deep down in your heart, you knew it. It was clearly understood. But you suppress the truth. Creation teaches invisible attributes that are as clear as day. But then special revelation. David saw and longed to see God's power and glory in the sanctuary. It's right here. This is where he came. He came to the sanctuary. Well, you say there wasn't anything special about it. Yeah, but we, we talked about it already. God was there and he related with the things that he was told. He longed to see God's power and glory in the sanctuary. He longed to see God's revelation as the lawgiver, as the judge of the earth. He longed to hear those scrolls read and all those narratives recounted. God's power and glory. He longed to see them in all those appointed means of approach. Here's how you come. Here's how you go. Here's what you do. Here's what you bring. He longed to see that. It was revealed in the, the ongoing communion with his people in an answered prayer and guidance. And there's many Psalms that, that speak of that. This wasn't just go there every week. There was a prayer life that was generated, wasn't there? There was answers to prayer that were generated. There was, there was a, a feeling, look at the works of Yahweh. Look at what Yahweh is doing. His power and his glories were revealed. A completely different manifestation than creation, but God directed, ordained, he led it, and in that, he showed abundant mercies, and his glory and his power were, were revealed in that. Well, that's David, but we can ask... What about us? If, if David saw that in the old covenant structure, what should we see? What should we see? How much clearer do you think a New Testament believer should see than an Old Testament believer? If we have the book of Hebrews that tells us, we should say, well, I'm looking through it with a microscope. I'm right there. I'm seeing the whole thing. I'm seeing the perfect sacrifice. I'm seeing the blood atonement of Christ that was better than all the blood of bulls and goats. I'm seeing one priest when all those priests that I knew, they died. I grew up with this priest and he died and then the other guy came along and, and another guy and they just kept dying. I, I, just, I just didn't know. But now I have one. And now there's no out, now there's no tent, now there's no altar, now there's no four levels of curtains that only one person goes in once a year, now there's nothing. And, and our dear Pastor Gary says it all the time, we go all the way in. We go all the way in, brethren, we have access to the throne of grace. 
anytime we want, anytime we lift up our hearts in prayer, anytime we gather in prayer meeting, anytime we gather in this place, we go all the way in. There's no structure. There's no curtains. But David couldn't, get, couldn't wait to get back to it. Don't throw that all out. This man who was a man after God's heart loved the things that God made. He loved that place that God said, you come here and I'll meet with you. And if we want to see God's glory, we can just turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 for a few moments as we begin to wind down 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It takes us right back to the, to the old covenant. 2 Corinthians 3 Verse 7, where's the glory now? Paul's teaching on the new glory, 2 Corinthians 3, 7, and we'll read down to verse 11. Ten times in five verses the word glory is used. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? There's a long, long question for you. And the answer to the question is, yes, it really will. Moses went into the presence of God. His face, because of his communion with God, glowed so much that he actually put a veil on. They couldn't even look at his face. That's how close he got to God. And Paul says, if that happened to them in a ministry that faded away, what about now when the Holy Spirit is at work? Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? And we say, yes, it must have more glory. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. David couldn't wait to get back to his sanctuary, to a place that Paul says was a ministry of condemnation because you couldn't be righteous by the law. You needed those animals, but it could never work all the way inside your conscience and say, my conscience is clear before God. Because Christ was my sacrifice, not an animal. A perfect person was my sacrifice. It must far exceed it in glory, verse 10. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all. That's amazing, isn't it? The thing that David longed for out in the wilderness, the thing he said, I can't wait to get back to, Paul says it's gone. It's gone. Because of the glory that surpasses it. That's the glory that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the glory that we have. Here, here will I come and see you face to face. That's the glory that we have. Well, I don't see anything special about this room. But there's something very, very, very infinitely special about the salvation that's proclaimed in the scripture. There's, very, there's something infinitely special about a, a savior who had no sin and kept the law and, and is perfect and separate and undefiled and now makes intercession for us 
he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to sacrifice over and over. The Hebrews just wraps the whole thing up and then says, therefore, just go, just get, get to Christ. Look what he says. Because the glory that surpasses it, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Much more glory is in what we have than what passed away. And then in verse 18, he wraps it up. But we all, with unveiled face, you see what he just did? You're like Moses. That's kind of what he's saying, isn't it? You're like Moses. Moses looked at glory. It was too intense. He had to veil his face. And he says, we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. David would have said, boy, I can't. You, you, you're fortunate. I just saw the sanctuary. I just saw this and I saw power and glory. You, you behold with an unveiled face. And Paul says in a mirror, right? Because we can't get cocky. We, we can't get cocky and say, oh, I, I saw the Lord. No, it's as in a mirror. But, but look, there's no restriction. Unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed. Well, you would expect that, wouldn't you? God's glory transforms people. It's passive. God is working on us. We are being transformed into the same image, the same icon from glory to glory. Whose image? We're being transfor transformed into Christ's image. And, and what are the steps? You go from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, but, you know, I have all these physical ailments. Yeah, I, I, I have this. I got these problems. I have these problems. But by faith, brethren, we have to see. We are looking at God. We are looking at the gospel with unveiled face. And we're beholding the glory of the Lord. Just like I saw the sparrow this morning. Just like I saw the flower this morning. And it tells me, you know that God's in control. Just by reading this, I know that because I'm a new covenant believer, that God is in control and he's transforming my life. It doesn't take the steps that I do, does it? Oh, I think I'm making a little progress in my prayer life. I think I'm making a little progress. But Paul says, no, it's greater than that. You're going from one stage of glory to another stage of glory into a final stage of glory. Well, I don't see that every day. Well, well, well frankly, neither do I, but, but that's, what, that's what's there. Into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And, and he's saying, as, as just as, as you're in the Lord, the Spirit is guiding you. There's a, new, there's a new impetus. There's a shift in glory, but it's real glory. It's Moses' face to all our faces. It's God working and we're being transformed. We're being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. It's the life work, but we go from glory to glory. And God's Spirit works in all believers in the new covenant. And that's the glory that we see right in the room. If you knew me the right number of years ago, you would have said, I never thought these words could come out of his mouth. 
it was told to other people, he's too far gone. Well, the, the glory and the power of God, brethren, is in the person that's sitting next to you. Because one point in their life, they didn't give glory to God. They didn't repent. They didn't serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Where's the glory? The glory is in the preaching and teaching of the gospel. Can you, can you imagine any message that's greater and more powerful than the gospel of Jesus Christ? You say, there isn't any. Well, that's the glory of the church, isn't it? That was the glory of the sanctuary. I want to get back there to hear the Old Testament stuff. Somebody open up an ancient scroll and read out of some books. Remember, Jesus did it in Luke chapter 4. They told him, here. And he found a place in Isaiah. That was amazing, right? This is fulfilled today. They took him out to the brow of a hill and say, we're throwing you over. We, we know your parents. That satisfied David's heart. We should be satisfied with the preaching and teaching of the gospel. In every hymn, in every prayer. The person next to me never sang hymns. And now they sing hymns. The person next to me never had a heart for God. There's a time when we were all lost. The, the glory and power of God is in this room because we're going from glory to glory. Each one of us. You say, oh, I don't see, I don't see much progress. But God is working. That if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is inside of you working. It's an amazing thing. Oh, I, I, don't, see, I don't see it. But it is because, because it's right there. In every hymn. And Jesus' atonement shines over everything we do. If we were still in that cycle, like an unconvinced Jew, and thought, no, this this laying up, this hands on this lamb, I, I don't I don't think it does anything. We can't do that with Christ either. We have to know. We have to know absolutely. There is no question how great the salvation is. It should draw us to him. It should, it should draw us to ask for help. Jesus, I don't see the glory all the time. Could you please show me? The disciples asked this evening in the reading, increase our faith. That is a good prayer. I always get confused about Jesus's answer because he says, well, if you had a tiny little bit, you'd be all right. But we can say, show me your glory. Show me, Lord, what's really going on. And to put it in the context, when my soul faints, when I'm thirsty deep in my soul, and I'm in a dry and weary land where there is no water, spiritually, that's easy for us to see because there is nothing out there. There's nothing out there that can quench us or help us. And like Asaph, what happens to us? Oh, I went to church. I went to the evening service. I heard a message I, and I went out refreshed. The Lord helped me to get past this or past this or past that. In the ministry of the word Sunday morning, we sang one of my favorite hymns that ministered to my soul. That's the power and glory of God. You, we have to see it. We have to believe it. You know the story, somebody came to Trinity and they said, oh, you use that, use that dead hymnal. Brethren, the worshiper is dead, not the hymnal. 
we engage in these hymns. Somebody who was a Christian years ago wrote down a poem, wrote down a psalm. Somebody who was gifted in music like David said, that's a nice thought. I'm going to write, I'm going to write, put that to music. 200 years, 300 years later, we sing it. We say, I love that hymn. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. I love that hymn. Well, somebody wrote it. Somebody who understood the glory of God. Somebody who understood the, the, the power of God. There's really, no, there's really no need to apply it, is there? There's really no need to, to bend the nail over. One of the Puritans used to say, if you're wise, you know how to apply this. And that's what we should do. I, I would suggest reading that Second Corinthians over a few times. Ten times in five verses, glory. One passed and the other we possess. And where are we going? We're going from glory to glory. And we can anticipate Wednesday night. We can anticipate Sunday night. Because Wednesday night we talk about what? Answered prayer. Only God can answer prayer. What a confidence we can have. Only God can meet me in my darkest need. Only God can meet David chased by his son out into the wilderness with no provisions. And David says, I just want to get back to the sanctuary and see God's power and glory. And, and brethren, we should just have the same sentiment and desires as he did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for the mercies that you give us in the salvation that's in Christ, we're staggered sometimes to think of what we truly have. We're thankful for David's example in many ways, Though we didn't have the, the full package, Lord, he certainly desired you. We pray that you would give us those desires. He certainly saw you and met with you, and we pray that we would do the same. We ask that our faith might grow and increase. We ask that we truly might see that we are being transformed by the Spirit uh, from one glory to another. We are thankful for all the mercies that are in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.